Hello and welcome to Grace Lutheran Church Sermon Podcasts. On this podcast, you will hear the latest sermons taken from our weekly worship service. Our hope is that you will find joy and comfort in knowing the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. So I heard that over the last week, The pastor preached for 45 minutes, so that's what I'm doing. (laughs) I now have a 10-page sermon. Are you content in worship? Are you content with the content of worship? Or are you internally contending with the content of contentment in worship? Psalm 33 leads us to examine not only contentment, but the content, particularly, of worship and being content in worship. And this, perhaps, is something that we contend with along the way, looking at traditional and contemporary worship as these two have been at loggerheads for the last 20, 30 years. Well, Psalm 33 begins with a string of commands. When I say commands, you know, it's an imperative. You know, do this, don't do that. That's a command. It's an imperative, right? It begins with imperatives. But really, as we as Christians worship our Lord, they're not commands at all, but invitations. The psalmist invites all those around him to shout, praise, make music, sing, play. You're invited to do these things because of the beautiful and wonderful Savior that we have. For Christians, these are not commands. It's more like, who can stop us? They're invitations. They're gospel. The gospel invites. The gospel gives. The gospel grants. It offers and provides. It's what God does. And so we worship him with joy at his invitation. Yet, in a way, these are commands. Shout, praise, make music, sing, play, are commands. As commands, they're law, if we take them like that. It's usually we we have to do what we don't want to do. And if you take it like that, then it's law. Meaning, it's not an option to any of God's creation, but a requirement also, because all people are subject to worship the Creator. No one is an exception. All humanity was created to shout, to praise, to sing, to play instruments to the Lord. To the Lord because He made us, as Psalm 100 reminds us. Sing to the Lord a new song. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. So in a nutshell, our psalmist is reminding us of the third commandment. Our praises, our songs, our music, playing instruments should be done to this God. To this God alone. No other God should be praised. So as Christians, you and I are invited and we gather to participate in worship because we know this true God. We know how wonderful he is. They are gospel. For the rest of humanity who do not know him, 
these same words sound as law. They're a reminder that whatever they're worshiping, to whomever they are singing their praises, to whomever they shout in admiration and adoration, to whomever they give their joy and worship for who they are in life, their success, their livelihoods, is not the true God. And to worship these and to cultivate a relationship with these is to have another God. It's our great commission, if you will, as children of God, to proclaim and sing and shout this loving God to the world, to show others why and how he alone must be worshipped. Because our praises, our shouts, our songs, and singing are not done for our entertainment. They are done to proclaim to others what God has done. Singing and praising and worshiping, music making, playing instruments are effective in communication and they are effective as they affect us. Ways that we embrace God's word, the ways that we make it ours, the ways that we put it into our life through song, through music, through worship. These songs of praise, these forms of praise are not entertainment that we do to make us feel good. The music is not just a nice, favorable melody that makes us weep at its beauty or energizes us with its power. In our praise and in our worship, as in all praise and in all worship, they are confessions of our faith and our allegiance. Just like we recite the creed, so our songs sing what we confess to God. They repeat back to God in musical form what he has said to us in scripture. So our praises must agree with his teaching in order to be true praise and worship. If you sing hymns because they were grandma's favorite or it's a melody you like, you're kind of praising the aesthetics of the music making but probably pay little attention to the words. Of course, the melody communicates what we believe when we sing, but at times the music replaces it and is the confession, carries no message other than, yeah, I like it, or it's a catchy tune. It's got a great beat. At the end of the service, someone might say, Pastor, that new hymn was great. The music was so beautiful. To which the pastor might respond, oh, were you entertained? Entertainment. But there are occasions during worship in which a parishioner has stated afterwards that hymn was so meaningful, the words are so powerful. At that's the point. The words are part of the worship. The praise, the singing, the music making, the playing of instruments, the shouts, and yes, for some, even dancing. In the medieval church, they danced. I don't know if you knew that. The words should be the central part of anything used to praise the Lord. And should be is the problem in so many worship settings today. People flock to a church because they like the music. Not knowing if they agree with the teaching of the church, but the music's good, and it makes me feel good. 
I don't like the organ. It's so old-fashioned. That's why I go to fill in the blank. Or, Pastor, we need more lively music in the church. We see people flocking to churches like this, some even leaving Lutheran congregations because the new place has a praise band with excellent musicians, lively music, and probably a former rock star turned Christian. Some churches even go as so far as to say, if the music doesn't move you or make you jump, shout, and sing, then it's not true worship. Or worse yet, if you worship with an organ and sing hymns, you're not a true Christian. All this to say that people want to be content in worship, most times not looking at the content of worship. Instead of being content as the goal of worship, the Christian must be moved by the content of worship. It's something with which we should all contend wherever we may worship on a Sunday. We should contend with three areas that are problematic in many modern day scenarios. The first is meaningless words. The content of your worship doesn't have to be accompanied by dour or sorrowful music. The music should provide an aesthetic that communicates God's word. Meaningless words like la la la, la 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 may be fun, but they don't communicate. They're used to fill out time slots on a music CD to make it longer. Again, entertainment based. When scripture says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, it refers to shouts of acclamation, not space fillers in a chorus. The second is repetition. Repetition is another feature in modern worship and something really innate in all human beings. At times, though, the repetition becomes the message but communicates little about the gospel. Its value is the feeling that the repetition gives. Repetition is an innately powerful device among human beings. You know, jingles remind us of repetition. We heard them over and over as kids growing up. I wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Does anybody use Pepsodent? No. Oh, one person, but we know the jingle. If it's Borden's, it's gotta be good. You know them because they're catchy. You heard them over and over. You don't even have to think about it. You might not even like Borden's. Might be lactose intolerant, but still you know the jingle. You use Pepsodent, maybe not. But repetition, you know the product. But you learn a passage from scripture by reciting over and over again and again also, committing it to memory. And it's useful later on in life. You will have scripture ever before you. Repetition is addictive. Many contemporary praise songs, however, repeat a chorus endlessly because of the entertainment value, not necessarily the words. They can repetition produce a trance-like response. Singing seemingly endless praises like, I praise you, I will praise you, I will praise you, I will praise you, as the main focus of the song tells nothing about what God has done for you and his salvation for you. It says more about you than about God. 
But it does make you feel good because of the repetition. And because you feel like you're doing something that is pleasing to God. Repetition is a useful but dangerous tool in controlling people's minds. Just ask a man named Adolf. The third is we all fall victim to aesthetics in music, things that sound nice, different styles. Here's an example of an entertaining and well-known hymn that can make you content in worship but totally lack in worship content. The hymn, I love to tell the story. I know, I know, we sang this a couple weeks ago. But if you look at the content, it is mostly an account of how much the author loves to tell the story without ever actually getting around to telling the story. Like many contemporary hymns, it focuses on me, not the story, my story. However, when you consider that the central content of Christian faith doesn't make for uplifting praise songs like suffering and death on the cross and burial or sin, it's easy to see why modern praise artists would opt to write songs more about pleasant things with enticing music reinforced by repetition to make you feel good. Aesthetics doesn't make the hymn bad or unusable, but when you fill a worship service with me and I, centering your focus on what I or me does, it's about feeling. It's about me. So what's the content of true worship that our psalmist might suggest? in which our psalmist invites us to sing and praise and make dancing and music. The content of the praise is saturated with God's word and what he does. This is the rest of the psalm. True praise consists in recounting what God has done for us. True praise acknowledges who God is and what he has done for us. It includes even horrible things things that most contemporary songs don't like to sing about, like just as I am without one plea. Says who we are in the eyes of God. Sinners in need of forgiveness. It's a confession. We could easily recite it as our confession. Sometimes we sing about things that we don't like, our sin or its consequences or death, or the horror of the cross. They don't make us feel good, but we sing them in worship and praise because it points us to who and what God has done for us. Praise is saturated with his word. It consists in recounting his work on our behalf. And our praise should tell the story, not only of who we are, but praise him with his word and recall the work of the Lord, his steadfast love, his righteousness, his justice, his work of creation and recreation. The content of our praise is about what he does, not what we do. In verse 3, it reminds us that in worship, you bring your best before the Lord. Sing loudly, even if you're tone deaf. Just as no expense was spared when Solomon built the temple, so you and I praise God by adorning his house with beauty in every possible way. And we do. Look at our pyramids. 
Look at the vessels for the Lord's Supper. Look at the church on Christmas. We give our best. So with music. So with worship. We should bring the best combination of music and texts into God's presence, coming into his presence with thanksgiving, as the psalm says, and into his courts with praise. The more fully the word is present, the more fully we praise God. Because his word and his works are righteous, so is our praise when his word is the content of our praise. This is the meaning behind the word, the Hebrew word in verse 4 and in verse 1 that means upright or righteous ones. It's used to describe the Lord and it's used to describe those who praise him. The content of our praise from a righteous God makes us righteous. Righteous is not how we go about doing something. It's rather what God's word makes us. We are righteous people, as the psalm says, praising God righteously, not by what I do, but because we have been forgiven. We are made righteous through his word. So we righteously praise him. But the beautiful thing as well is in verse 5. The earth is full of the Lord's steadfast love. And we can sing about this. Water, bread, wine are common elements found on the earth. But when accompanied by the power of his words as he commands, God chooses to be present and manifest himself and impart his steadfast love through the common elements of earth. In worship, in true worship, you and I rejoice and praise the presence of God's steadfast love, his life-giving grace, where he deigns to be for us. And just a bit ago, I said repetition without the content of God's word is useless, but in verse 8, as in other psalms, repeating the deeds of the Lord over and over again has a profound emotional impact on us. You and I recite and confess the Lord's deeds in worship, in reading of scripture, the Lord's Supper, our confession of the creed, and the confession and forgiveness of sins. I remember my dad, who passed of Alzheimer's in 2005. Whenever he would go for his test for dementia, the doctor would say for him to read a sentence or say something from memory. Well, my dad was a cantor in church and had been for 40 years. So guess what he recited? The Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, the Creed. Sticks with you. Repetition. And it's emotionally impactful because when you least expect it, God's Spirit brings that to mind. And our worship reinforces that in us that we rely on his word when even we're not here because we've heard it and we've used it in praise here. This strength leads the psalmist and us to declare and invite all of creation to consider the power of the Lord's word. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world be afraid of him, meaning fear him, meaning adore him. It invites others to come and see that the Lord is worthy of praise. Well, as you contend with personal worship preferences, may you be content 
not in aesthetics, likes, and dislikes. True worship is not judged by upbeat experiences that make you merely feel good. If that's all you want, you can go to the mall or jog, watch a movie. Instead, let the call of worship invite you to experience the content of worship, the retelling of God's steadfast love and kindness, the forgiveness of your sins, your adoption as sons and daughters, your deliverance through his body and blood, and the waters of baptism. Now that is a reason to shout and praise and sing and make music and play skillfully any instrument you might play. Amen. To know more about Jesus and our ministry at Grace Lutheran Church, please find us at www.gracealoneonline.org. You'll find additional sermon podcasts and your favorite podcast channel every week at www.gracealoneonline.org forward slash sermons.